I was born 1911, Chickasaw County, Piedmont Plantation. And did you know as a girl growing up that one day you'd be a maid? Yes, ma'am, I did. And you knew that because? My mama was a maid. My grandmama was a house slave. The Help is a 2011 American film directed and written by Tate Taylor. It recounts the story of a young white woman and aspiring journalist, Eugenia. She's also known as Skeeter in the movie. And she focuses on her relationship with two black maids, Abelene and Minnie. This was during the civil rights era in 1962. Um, she was quite a forward thinker and she became increasingly disgusted with the attitudes and poor treatment of the help by their white socialite friends. So she decided to write a book about the experiences. Since it was both illegal and dangerous at the time to write about anything that spoke to social equality of the races, they collected the stories in secret using aliases and anonymity. Let's fast forward to 2016, where we have two women, Mbali and Tuliza, from a different part of the world that experiences legalized racial prejudice, finding that the same need has remained 54 years later Mm. to tell the stories of the women in other people's homes. Although there's more to that, we thought it important to explore the parallels between then and now, that story and this one. Thanks as always for joining my lovely co-host Mbali and myself, Teliza, and make sure to tell us what you think is similar about our stories on our Twitter page, at Made Project. So let's start off with the first scene. You're about to hear what happens between Skeeter, the journalist, and Abelene, who's the main maid that started it all. Let's first listen to the clip and discuss it afterwards. Abelene! Yes, Everything okay? Okay, I just wanted to talk to you. You got some more Miss Myrna questions for me? Oh, no, no, I just wanted to talk. <laughs> we never finished our conversation at Elizabeth's. About that book I want to write? really like to interview you, Abelene. I know it's scary. They set my cousin Chanel's car on fire just because she went down to the Bolton station. A book like this has never been written before. Because there's a reason. I do this with you, I might as well burn my own house down. I promise we'll be careful. This already ain't careful, Mosquito. You're not known as what scared me the most. Scared me more than Jim Crow. Here's my phone number. And my car's here. I could just take you home. No, ma'am. Sure, it's such an interesting scene, that. Because actually, Skeeter reminds me... um, you know, she's, she's so well-meaning, but she's so naive that she re- reminds me a lot of, of, of ourselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah she doesn't over. realize how awkward it is to be standing at that bus stop with that woman mm. with a bus full of domestic workers or maids mm. in that context. And mm. then white women kind of onlookers as well. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and how uncomfortable that might make, uh, Abelene feel. She's on a mission, mm. um, much like we were. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, it's kind of very un- unaware of herself, but I think that is such uh, an advantage mm. for a narrator Definitely. to not be completely aware of a situation because it can definitely unnerve you. And I think that had we been aware of how uncomfortable we would make both the domestic workers and their employers and everyone in between, that we might have shied away from it too. So it can appear insensitive, but actually it's well-meaning and it's because you have this very idealistic idea of what justice should be. (laughs) And you live in that world. So, yeah. And I mean, if you like remember how sometimes we'd fetch the ladies from the spa mm. to make sure that we don't fetch them in front of their homes. Yeah, exactly. So still having the same issues with like not wanting to be seen or associated to certain people because they, and I mean, also using aliases. So there's, there's really such similarities. Like 
You know, massive. You mentioned 54 years later, it's still the same thing. Massive similarities. But um, now let's go back to the burning of the car. It's very interesting because they never say who burns the car, right? Mm. Um, and it could, it could either be the employers who burned the car mm. or it could be fellow maids yes. who felt like her act exposed the rest of the community to harm. So her going to vote, that's mm. why her car was burned, right? Mm. Um, so it could, yeah, it could either be the, the, the employers who felt like it was a gross um, violation mm. of sorts. That's a great, great point. Yeah. So I yeah. wonder, I wonder who, because you, it's, it's, it's mm. interesting because like in that position, Mm. The martyr can face um, threats, I guess, yeah. from from both sides. Yeah, and we actually see it as well. Like all the naysayers, you know, when she decided that, she, well, when Abeline, the main character, main maid, decided that she was going to do it, mm. and she was trying to recruit other maids, mm. they wouldn't just turn her down. They'd be frustrated with yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, and you you can't it. win. And I remember uh, a domestic worker. Um, Telling us a story about how, you know, she got up in a community once, um, and, and took a leadership role. And she thought she was doing something exemplary to empower the community. I don't remember what specifically she was talking about, but definitely got up to say something that would empower the community, right? And actually ended up getting the greatest backlash mm. from the very people she was trying to to uplift mm, um, yes. and I think that can happen so so often and it's almost like the the martyr's dilemma yeah and it's actually so interesting now as you say that because looking at the scene it you know the, the way that it's filmed it makes it seem like she's only wary of the white woman's eyes mm. but actually mm. it could also be wariness of the black woman's eyes yeah such a conundrum anyway so you were talking about um, the criminalization of as well of what they were doing. I don't know. I can't remember the specific law, but I don't know if you want to play the scene first. Any person printing, publishing, or circulating written matter urging for public acceptance of social equality between whites and Negroes is subject to imprisonment. Hello? Yeah, so that's really quite profound. Um, but also <laughs> has... <laughs> An era of apartheid. Huh? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I guess I, I'm just really puzzled at how very, very straightforward that is, right? Mm. That there is a common understanding that the Negroes and the whites are not equal. Are not equal. Right? Right. And yet now, right, in America, as they, as, you know, black people are fighting for as much civil rights and equality and that kind of stuff, mm. there's still that, that, um, you know, the saying from, I guess, the powerful that no, it, it was never about dehumanizing or it was never I about. I mean, look, you know? it's a definitely a convenient, um, spin on the story. What I do compared to this here, <laughs> scenario what i <laughs> i want to um kudos <laughs> the apartheid government for is at least pretending it was about equality <laughs> like they had uh all these uh interesting ways to justify yes, why black and white people should be separate i think they yeah. went as far as preserving different mm. cultures mm. or something like that but here they're not even pretending. They're just mm. saying anyone who's advocating publicly for social equality yeah. between blacks and whites mm. is a criminal. Yeah. Straight up, eh? Yeah. Mississippi only that Mississippi racism is so real. Like they talk, <laughs> it's like a, an urban legend that it's like, <laughs> I remember Trevor Noah talks about it all the time. It's like there's racism and then there's Mississippi, Mississippi racism. <laughs> that is so real. Yeah. It might be the only place in the world that Rivals the apartheid state is Mississippi. Is, is it in the south? It's definitely in the south. It's where okay. black people used to hang from trees. Yeah, that place. I mean, it All might right. even With be the like laws. Okay. Yeah, it might mm. be the capital of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that place is wow. Okay, so so that's why this was as big a deal as it was to write this book because mm. it was literally in the heart of it. Mm. And here is this this. White woman and bless her heart, you know, not only is she facing the threat of being ostracized, which she already is socially to a large extent, but she actually might literally go to jail. Yeah. And she does it anyway. Yeah. That is 
profound. <laughs> so I would like to ask you, Tadiza Cindy, in that situation, would you still be sitting here on this show doing what we're doing? Yeah, I actually would. Do, I would. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I would probably do exactly what she did, you know, with using aliases, making sure I park three streets up <laughs> and then secretly finding my way to the homes, you know, to get interviews. I think I would definitely do it. I mean, I, I guess it would also be different for us because we're also black. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the rules would be a lot worse, mm. you know, in general. I think there's some leniency because she is white that, yeah. she, that I'm sure she'd be offered. Yeah. Um, but yes, I would definitely do it. And just what I find interesting though, is the fact that we're using the same means to get these stories as she was using when it was actually illegal. So we're also, we've also used aliases mm. and we've also like snuck, you know, the, and yet <laughs> the it is perfectly, and, and yet it's perfectly legal. Yeah. And to me that speaks to how things can be outlawed, but like the threat still remains. Threat still remains because behavioral patterns, unfortunately become ingrained mm. and they don't change because something is legal, mm. you know? And that's why simply taking away, uh, an unjust law. So simply taking away the apartheid system yeah. um, wasn't enough to rehabilitate this country mm. or, you know, to restore it. Um, mm. And so many of those mindsets still exist. I mean, we saw with the, you know, a similar document was the Your Bantu Servant and You. We did a show on that. And that was basically guidelines um, provided by the Department of Non-European Affairs um, during apartheid. There were guidelines on um, the... Madam or the white employer Bantu servant relationship. Yes. Uh, and there were like some serious atrocities in there. And though they, but it was they, very polite. That's actually what was quite. Yeah. The tone. About they, it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The, the party guys had a tone about them. Yeah. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> yeah. They got it down. <laughs> like it's that like very charming racism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're being kind actually. <laughs> communal living. <laughs> Use a different toilet, but here have a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, and and though a lot of those kind of behaviors don't necessarily exist the way they used to, certainly the mindsets do, mm. right? Mm. So I think the treatment is is maybe a little bit be- better, but the sentiment remains. Mm. And so when you actually see them expressing their fear, it's so real, mm. you know, and it's just as real as if we were doing something very illegal mm. that could get us into huge mm. trouble. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So then we get into um, one of the characters who's sort of the villain. Um, she speaks of the idea of, you know, the maids and them being separate but equal. And she's obsessed with getting, um, you know, separate toilets uh, placed into everyone's homes. Mm. Um, I guess to like pass that as a law or something. Yeah, there was an actual bill. Yeah, a bill. There we go. Mm. Uh, so she, yeah, she was determined to have this bill passed. And I mean, even the way she sort of talks to the maids about it is if they should be it's really crazy. proud. It's crazy. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to kind of play you a series, um, of, of clips from the movie where she talks about the passing of this bill. Louie, I wish you'd just gave me some bathroom. I'm fine. Oh, she's just upset because the nigger uses the guest bath and so do we. Abelene, go check on me, Mobley. Yes, ma'am. Just gaze mine and Raleigh's. If Abelene uses the guest bath, I'm sure she uses yours too. She does not. Wouldn't you rather them take their business outside? Have y'all seen the cover of Life this week? Jackie's never looked more regal. Tell Raleigh every penny he spends on a college bathroom, he'll get back in spades when y'all sell. Oh, it's just plain dangerous. They carry different diseases than we do. Pass. That's why I've drafted the Home Health Sanitation Initiative. The what? A disease preventative bill that requires every white home to have a separate bathroom for the colored help. It's been endorsed by the White Citizens Council. Maybe we should just build you a bathroom outside, Hilly. You ought not to joke about the colored situation. I'll do whatever it takes to protect our children. Hurry, Abilene. May Mobley's up and I'm off to the doctor. Abilene. 
That's Avery's bath for Mama. Hey, Avery. No, 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 honey. Promise me you won't go in there, okay? Just me. I'm right here, baby girl. Isn't it so nice to have your own Abilene? That's mine. Now, I just found out the Surgeon General has reviewed the Home Health Sanitation Initiative that I drafted, and he passed it along to Governor Barnett! <laughs> Abilene, are you enjoying your new bathroom over at Elizabeth's? Nice to have your own. Yes, ma'am. And I thank you. Separate, but equal. That's what Ross Barnett says, and you can't argue with the governor. Sadistic woman, that one. <laughs> Beyond sadistic, but also, again, that very polite yeah. tone. Which, yeah. I have, white people have this thing down, though, hey? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sometimes, seriously, no, no, no. Sometimes... And I noticed this particularly in the workplace with um, white authorities versus mm. black authorities. So mm. we have had a, a, a white director versus a black director. A white director give you criticism, the worst, the most <laughs> scathing criticism. <laughs> like for some reason, you'll still think they're being nice to you. <laughs> and they like you. And they like you. <laughs> they still respect <laughs> you. Meanwhile, <laughs> like, you'll be out in six months. Exactly. They can fire you to your face and... Somehow you'll still want to give them a hug. Yeah, <laughs> you'll think that they they've done they've done the best for you. Like, oh, the way you thought of me. <laughs> You've let me go because you know that I have great inspiration. It's amazing yeah, diplomacy, but it's so it's so sinister. Whereas black people are just mean. <laughs> no poker face. Mean, 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 mean. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's quite it's quite an interesting tactic that. Um, <laughs> But what we were talking about earlier is how weird it is that there is um this obsession with separate am- amenities. So, mm-hmm. you know, using separate toilets um, in the documents that we mentioned before um, mm-hmm. that criminalize the publishing of, of material that mm-hmm. advocates social equality. There's also part in there that talks about, uh, I think, black and white people using separate things. I mean, there's that one example about uh, black and white students cannot interchange ex- exchange books. Yes. Right. They cannot use books interchangeably. And I didn't know if that was um, still about like them not touching the same things because black people carry different d- diseases mm. or that was if that was about the exchange of education mm. as well, which is also quite an interesting layer and a, a layer that definitely existed during apartheid, right? As, yes. Um, uh, I mean, I remember reading somewhere in apartheid law where like that employers of, of black servants mm. were told expressly in this law that they were not to teach their servants to read. Yes. Right. <laughs> Which is fascinating. Yeah. And then we have this education system where everyone, you know, the, the curriculums were, were according to race. Yeah. Right. And, and the and the Bantu syllabus mm. was, uh, you know, made of a lower. Standard. Yeah, it was it was yes, made deliberately, d- deliberately shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and it sort of got tiered, yeah, from like you know, the blackest of the black. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> to the whitest. Of, I don't uh, know, girl. It's like the poorest of the poor. I'm sure there <laughs> there was such a thing. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's this obsession with separation. But what mm. I find particularly interesting with somebody who is hands on everything in your house, including your children, right? Like these women in this movie, they have their hands mm. in in the diapers. And if we were to track it back, like even further back than the civil rights movement of nineteen sixty of the nineteen sixties, when women slaves were breastfeeding exactly. white children, exactly. So that is a fluid coming out of a black woman's body, exactly. And yet, <laughs> that is comfortable enough. We can't for some reason. spot the irony in not letting them use uh, plates and toilets. Actually, I do wonder how the association to very particular uses. Mm. came about you know so using a toilet is wrong because of the diseases you can catch but again like having fluids out of her body mm. isn't as dangerous like where did where did those associations come from i have absolutely no idea it's like completely 
superficial in my mind. And then we see it today with, you know, one of the ladies that we, we've spoken to who said she can't wash her clothes in the same washing machine. Yeah. You know, as her employers because they just won't let her, but they'd, they'd even, they'd rather wash, you know, the dog's things in, <laughs> so weird. in the washing machine, but it's not just her these stuff. It's really, so. really weird, irrational fears. Um, another really interesting scene was then, where Minnie, who's one of the maids in the movie, passes on that that knowledge to her daughter, who's about to become a maid, yeah. and she's talking to her about the decorum. Yes, um, and she's almost she's giving her advice, but it's it's more it's a little bit more aggressive than that, mm. right? Mm. Um, she's telling her what she must and must not do on on the job, and she's very serious. Yeah, um, and very specific, and very specific. And she talks about the one thing she says is if you're cooking the food. And you use a spoon to taste it. Don't put the spoon back in or else you may as well throw out the whole thing. Mm. You know, and her daughter's kind of rolling eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she kind of snaps a bit. She gets irritable because she wanted to take her so seriously. And it is very maternal because I think she's doing it to protect her daughter, but it's such an irony. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> it's almost counter, it's, it's almost counter maternal mm. to reinforce the injustice. Mm. But at the same time, I understand that she's doing it to protect the mm. daughter's job, you mm. know? Completely. And I mean, when we also see, um, when Minnie eventually ends up working for Celia. Mm. Yeah. When she ends up working for Celia. for Celia, who's wonderful <laughs> and just hasn't been, um, socialized into treating a maid the way that the others were treating her, mm. you know, and how she was able to basically break every rule in terms of interaction with mm. her maid. Mm. You know, it's, it's, and then how she's the one that's actually an outcast yeah, in the group for, for, you know, I mean, for other things, but also for just not doing that stuff, for not being like the others. Yeah. And so how it's, it's just crazy how extremely normalized that yeah. prejudice was. No, absolutely. And actually, um, just to contrast it, I think we should pay, um, that scene where Celia hires many. Five other maids have already turned me down. Let me at least get you some bus money. Now, uh, when you hear me say I don't want to clean this house? Wait. So you'll do it? <laughs> oh, no hugging, no hugging. I'm sorry. It's the first time I've hired a maid. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> The other cool thing that, or interesting thing here for me was how excited Celia is to be hiring her first maid. <laughs> yeah. It was almost a rite of passage for these women, right? Yeah. And I almost feel, look, there obviously were other issues around her not being accepted by the rest of, of her peers. Mm. Um, but it certainly seems as though, you know, finding, finding a maid or she she was even rejected by maids, yeah, right? Yeah. So that was definitely one of her challenges. Mm. And so it's interesting to think of this hiring of a maid not just as something of of exploitation, but as something of status. Yeah. I get the impression that mm. if you were to able to establish a good relationship, that was a reflection of how good a housewife you were, so mm. to speak, you mm. know, um, that you can keep your your business intact, you know. Yeah. Together. But how interesting it. How interesting is it that some maids wouldn't have her? Mm. Because she, and it it might have a lot to do, I suspect, with her temperament and the fact that Completely. she threw out the rules and she, you know, she was so open and actually warm towards them yeah. was something that they weren't used to and probably made them quite uncomfortable. But something that they might have thought as well is that they could get into trouble. They could maybe get arrested because maybe, uh, you know, officials would think that they're the ones that are crossing the line right. and not necessarily see Right, you. right. So maybe they were also looking out for... <laughs> you know, trying to avoid any place that could get them into oh trouble. Oh my gosh, what a defensive mess. Mm, completely. Wow. Very scary. <laughs> and then we get into the very interesting topic of religion, which we know has played such a significant role, you know, from like Africa and missionaries coming and missionaries not exactly being as forthcoming mm. with their true intentions. Um, but then we see how religion plays itself out as well in, in, 
both the narratives of the white women as well as the narratives of the black uh, cast. So let's just play quickly. So we'll play two scenes. The one scene is of, um, you know, the, the of Abelene again, the main, mm. the main maid in the story who is at church and she's being consoled and being encouraged by the word of God. And then we have another scene where we have Hilly, who's again the villain and she's talking about, um, or she's, she's rather discussing a charitable deed that she could do. And how she uses the word of God again against doing the deed. Yeah, so it's just different versions of morality, but uh, have a listen. See, courage isn't just about being brave. Courage is daring to do what is right in spite of the weakness of our flesh. And God tells us, commands us, compels us. To love, amen? amen? See, love, as exemplified by our Lord Jesus Christ, is to be prepared to put yourself in harm's way for your fellow man. And by your fellow man, I mean your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your friend, and your enemy. See, if you can love your enemy, you already have the victory. Let's stand. All right. Miss Hilly, I would like to ask you and Mr. Williams something. My twin boys graduated from high school, both on the honor roll. Well, me and my husband, we've been saving for years to send them to Tougaloo. We short about $75 on one of the tuitions. Woo, I am late. I gotta get going. See you tonight, honey. Okay. Go on. Well, now we're um, <clears throat> faced with having to choose which son can go if we don't come up with the money. Would you consider giving us a loan? I'd, I'd work every day for free till it was paid off. That's not working for free. You'll may that's paying off a debt. Yes, ma'am. As a Christian, I'm doing you a favor. See, God don't give charity to those who are well and able. You need to come up with this money on your own, okay? Yes, ma'am. You'll thank me one day. Interesting, oh. right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, God, this religion thing. So who's right? <laughs> it's so incredibly convenient. <laughs> I really, I don't know when we're going to... Oh, anyway, let me let me hold back. <laughs> I found Hilly's spin so interesting. <laughs> no, and I think she genuinely believed that to be a moral act. I don't even think she was manipulating. Look, she definitely has a mean streak. Sure she, yeah. But I actually think there was a part of her that believed she's that the right thing. she's being a good Christian woman by denying this woman alone and saying, God doesn't give charity to the able. Yes. Whilst at the same time, you know, she knows that maids on average didn't get high enough incomes mm. and that was again because of you know the the prejudice that existed within that society so mm. they were just unable to access more money mm. so you know and that was um it it was an unfair treatment and yet that didn't i mean obviously no, that actually, didn't register you know what? i'm lying to you i actually don't think she believed it for a second i think she was I just don't think so. manipulating the holy text <laughs> to suit her answer which was no but but it's one of those things that are are a good enough form of manipulation that you can end up believing it yeah so even though in the moment she might not have believed it she could have thought oh actually Hmm, that does make sense. Yeah, but I also think, I think a lot of the time in oppressive regimes or, or, or power situations, mm. uh, the powerful use the, the faith mm. of the victims yes. against them. 
Absolutely. African Americans mm-hmm. are notoriously religious people. They are. They are. But what is beautiful is that it it um keeps hope alive. It, it keeps hope, hope, hope but as soon as as soon as as soon as the, the people as soon as the <laughs> nefarious parties get kind of catch on to that. Yeah. Right? They're mm-hmm. able to use that to to manipulate the situation and to to further kind of reinforce mm. uh, whatever injustice because given that justification she used right mm. knowing that the maid was very religious in that situation yes absolutely she knew that it would be more effective than just saying no completely and remember and it probably was and she probably then went back and internalized it and she might have believed it and then passed it on to her kids sure interesting but at the same time she did steal a ring (laughs) she did later on to sell it because she was also really desperate so Mm. it's it's also interesting that even though she was you know possibly quite religious herself that sometimes God will understand. You know what I mean? Like sometimes there's this the impression is, that there's certain circumstances oh that God, God will forgive oh you for. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So this for me raises such interesting questions around, um, the relationship, the very convenient marriage that st- states mm. and regimes mm. like the United States, for instance, mm. have with God. Right? Absolutely. And yes. why? Yes. Cause the United States again is very, um, popular. No, I, notorious is a bad word because it, it makes it sound bad, but I actually think it is bad. But the the United States is widely known to be a very very religious democracy, mm. right? And accepted by all Americans to mm. be that. Right? God God is first in the U.S. But I don't know if people ever question why. And I think it actually might be a lot more strategic on the part of the state than people think. Probably. Because then they can use religious spin. Yeah. To, to justify a lot of things. And particularly, mm-hmm. I think where you have, um, a melting pot mm-hmm. of a society mm-hmm. where there are people you are trying to balance or manage who have such different interests. Yeah. If you could just, uh, find something like Christianity, that they have in common. Yeah. You know, the Muslim element. But that's why, I mean, for instance, <laughs> no, but oh, that just throws no, us off. <laughs> but no, but that's why they can unite so many Americans who yes. come from different places and different backgrounds. Yeah. They can unite them against Islam is because they've used Christianity. And what it feels like as well is that you can have people trust your intent more mm. if it's founded on religious values and beliefs. Mm. Definitely. So there's minorities in the U.S. who have minority issues, yeah. but are happen to be Christian and identify the rest of Americans mm. on that level, who still then will be part of the 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 war against other minorities. Mm, completely. So weird. And you know, it actually also reminds me now of um, one of the ladies again that we interviewed. And remember, mm. like I think there was the one time she. I think she, she might have missed our meetings because she went to church or something. Mm. Um, but then there were instances as well where she missed church because before she was missing church to come and have interviews with us on the Sundays because that's really the only time that we could do it. And she was feeling so much guilt, but at the same time, because she believed that she was doing something really, really great and amazing, mm. she did also have that impression that God will forgive her. Right. But then at a certain stage, she just got tired and she really wanted to go to church because she really missed it. Mm. But that she also, she also had that conflict and she also sort of thought that it was something forgivable. Uh, somebody said <laughs> religion might be the only reason that the poor don't eat the rich. <laughs> On to the next one. <laughs> We want to touch on the men in their lives. So, I mean, this is quite a a sort of female-based relationship story. It's mostly about the madams and the relationships with the maids. Which is currently the story, you mm. know, like to this day. Yes, actually. <laughs> it's, this is a very much still a female narrative. Mm. Um, it's about madams and domestic workers. Mm. But the, it's, the men's do play an incredibly powerful role, but Mm. it's just, it's so indirect. Yeah. And I I mean, I I have to commend the movie actually on how, 
how well it portrayed the presence of the men in not incredibly um, overt ways, but the presence was really felt and also the controlling nature of their presence. Yeah. I or did. sometimes destructive, you know, like. Yeah. yeah. No, I did. I did also really appreciate that because I mean, you know, to this day, we haven't had a guy on the main station <laughs> or a male, coming, a male employer, you know, and he's, he's coming, but it's just, <laughs> it's harder than you think to engage men Completely. Um, in the space. So for them to, Build it into the narrative really warrants um, some props, eh? Mm. And so they 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 did it in. um, I mean, I I guess you can unpack it in two in two uh, ways. The one was basically the white men in their lives, and now I'm I'm referring to the maids. So the the white men um, that were their employers, as well as the black men in their lives. So whether it was their husbands or their uh, brothers or whatever it was So the male figures in their lives um, So we'll Quickly play Just two clips um, Regarding the presence Of the white men in their lives mm. I'm about to this damn house And I put up with your new clothes and your trips to New Orleans But this takes the goddamn cake Haley spoke to the Surgeon General and, and she also said it lied about you to our home Yes, May Mobley and go to college in that damn bathroom. Hey, Liz Cuffman and Costin said you could just do William's taxes to pay her back. We don't take orders from the Holbrooks. Skeeter, how you doing? Fine. Fix me a sandwich, Abelene. I work Sunday through Friday. No, you can't work at all on the weekends. Okay. Well, what time you want me here? After nine, and you gotta leave before four. Okay. Now, what's your husband say you can pay? Johnny doesn't know I'm bringing in help. And what Mr. Johnny gonna do when he come home and find a colored woman in his house? It's not like I'd be fibbing. I just want him to think I can do this on my own. I really need a maid. So, sure. Very interesting, those clips. What I find is men in this movie have a lot of power. Mm. But the power they have is over their wives. But that means they have indirect power over the maids. Mm. Right? And that's why I think it's it's a, a very good thing to weave into the story. Because... For instance, the first clip is a conversation that um, that this guy is having with his wife about building a, a toilet in their house, an additional toilet for, for their domestic worker mm. or their maid, rather. Sorry, I'm going to keep interchanging the two. Yeah. Um, and he's talking to his wife in the presence of the domestic worker who's in the background, yeah. right? So the conversation is about her, but he's having it with his wife, mm. okay? And then he gets frustrated and storms off because him and his wife won't agree. Walks straight past her and says, Evelyn, make me a sandwich. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. She, that is complete disregard for her presence in the room yeah. and her being the Subject mm. of the conversation mm. that they just had, mm. he doesn't see her at all. Mm. So it's interesting, actually, because she she sort of moves from she's actually just a tool, right? Mm. So uh, you know, for for him to only acknowledge her in order to get something mm. from it, you know, is that she's just it's very interesting though because just a tool in the home. But he makes the call in terms of whether or not she gets mm. a different toilet, but. He, he has that conversation purely with his wife because that is the only way in which he's willing to engage with her presence. Mm, sort of like deciding which curtains to get. You well, don't, you don't have to consult the curtain. You exactly. Know? Exactly. It's true. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Um, similar thing happens in the second, in the second scene where, um, the maid is asking, what's her name? Hilly and, yes. and, and her husband for a loan. Yes. But I mean, just also to, to note that in that scene, she looks directly at Hilly. She doesn't even look at the man actually. Oh, wow. Yes. So there's already like, she's, she's already got an impression of how to approach them or who to approach. Yeah. Mm. And this is, I mean, this is 
you know, Mississippi back in the day, right? Mm. This thing is set um, back in the day. Yeah. So it's safe to assume that the husband controls the money. Yes. Right. And so that, that is actually who would ultimately grant the loan. Yes. But still the maid knows to look directly at his wife Mm. and he is so uninvolved or unengaged Mm. that he's perfectly happy to excuse himself as soon as the matter, the matter which he controls comes up. Completely. He's more than happy to use the wife as the proxy. Yeah. And that's really what, in large part, the wives represent in this movie is a proxy Mm. between the men and the domestic worker or the maid. So I would argue there's actually, I'd argue that the men, in large part, the the relationship here, Mm. the interests in this relationship are between, (laughs) are between the man and the maid. Yes. The wife is an intermediary yes. because all the wife wants ultimately is to impress her man. Mm. If you think about how, uh, when, who's the woman who was outlawed again? What's her name? The blonde C- lady. Celia. When Celia hired, um, Minnie in secret in this yes. movie because she needed help in the, the house. The reason she wanted to hire a maid in secret was so her husband wouldn't find out because she wanted her husband to think she could do all of these things. She was fully domesticated. Although I did wonder because, um, you know, Minnie, who, who Celia hired, mm. was wondering about that, was wondering about the presence of the husband. And then, you know, Celia told her that the husband doesn't know. I had wondered how, how then is she going to pay? You know, because she wasn't working. Yeah. No, I'm sure she would have made a plan around it. So maybe from like a stipend that something she gets or something. Effect. But uh, yeah, no, she made herself very clear in that she didn't want her husband to know. Mm. But again, it's about the husband. Mm, it is. You know? Mm. And a lot of these women, we know in those days, women were living, I mean, throughout this, this movie, mm. the, there's a, a, a strong narrative around Skeeter, mm. who's um, writing this book, mm. not being able to get a man. Yes. Then she eventually does. Mm. And then she loses the man because she wrote the Mm. book. And so it again shows how much it actually affects the male role. Yeah. Because he, he felt completely ashamed of her. He felt ashamed of the book. He felt like she was trying to stir trouble that apparently didn't exist in his eyes. Mm. He was just frustrated and he left her for Mm. it. Mm. And so again, it shows how invested they are in that relationship staying exactly as it is. It's all about the man. It is. And yet he's completely absent. Because the thing is you don't want as a man to for other for other people to think that you married a useless wife or yeah. useless woman. Yeah. You know, you don't want your house to be a complete mess all the time or you know, you for your wife to seem I mean, to be struggling. So really it is actually the, the maid is, of the is man. A, the maid the maid is a thing that the wives commodify. Mm. So that they can be commodified by their men. <laughs> or they can be a commodity to their men. Yes, yes, definitely. And it's interesting as well because, again, like the you know, with some of the domestic workers that we've interviewed, there's a volatile relationship there with the man that often they won't necessarily go and ask or speak to the man. You know, mm. some never speak to the men. Mm. Some even feel uncomfortable with the presence of the husbands mm. in the home mm. um, and require a certain kind of distance or have a certain kind of fear associated to to them. Mm. And that most of the time they'll speak about, you know, the relationship that they have with their madams, so to speak. It's profound. And then there's the the blackmail component, which is which plays a role in, in this movie, particularly in Minnie's life. Um, mm. And it's also a bit of a weird one. But first of all, I think we'll we'll play a scene where we um, where where Minnie's husband comes into the picture. She got what she deserved, Abilene. But now I ain't gonna never get no job again. Oh, Lord, Leroy, don't kill me. Leroy? What you done did now, Minnie? Get off that phone. Leroy, please! Minnie? Minnie? Now, this seems like a common story, huh? Mm. But again... It's about the man. 
It is. It's all about the man. It is. So the interesting thing here is that at um at a later stage where and we already mentioned there's the scene where um Minnie is telling her daughter about the appropriate decorum of a maid because her daughter's now been taken out of school by this husband of hers mm. so that the daughter can help him to make ends meet because Minnie's now lost her job. Yes, and her reputation's been ruined because Hilly's been going around town spreading lies about her. Yes, and the reason that this man is abusing Minnie is because Minnie doesn't have a job. Yes. <laughs> Which is just completely, completely profound, you know, how obsessed this man is. And But, but at the time, he probably couldn't get a high-paying job himself. Mm. And so there was a high necessity for the income that she was bringing in. Yeah. But I mean, not, not an excuse, not, you know, but definitely a reason. <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> I feel about that reason. Um, but I guess, I guess it's also an interesting one, uh, the relationship he has with his own livelihood and economic value and her mm. job as a maid. Mm. But the thing is as well, <sighs> Although I'm going to beat you into getting a job. No, but although Minnie did do the right thing, she used the toilet inside because it was just thunder, mm. thunder and storm outside. And she didn't want to, she was afraid to go to the outside toilet. So she just used the toilet inside and that's why she got fired. She did also know that she was putting her, her job at risk, right? Mm. Again, in a time and a climate where she could very easily get fired for that, she was reckless, right? Mm. On those terms. And so I think that was also what he was punishing her for. I think he, I, th- I think in the, in the story, he's just generally quite abusive. Mm. Um, because like that's the impression that we get that he was abusive even before it, but then, you know, it, it might have just gotten worse. Um, so again, it's no excuse for the man's actions, but also, I think he was sort of punishing her for being very deliberately reckless. Again, it's never about the women. It's always about the men. It boils down to that. It is. And also with uh, Abeline's life, how there's the absence of men, yeah. the complete absence of men. So yeah. her, her son that passed away, so it's it's absence through loss. And then we actually don't really hear about her husband mm. um, or, or just, you know, the father of her child. Mm. Um, and so it's... It's really interesting as well how we see today that it's still the running story in terms of, you know, men in black women's lives. You know, they, they, they sort of talk about the deadbeat father, the one mm. that, that just doesn't, he's not there, he's not present. Um, and then, I mean, unfortunately with things like Black Lives Matter and how, you know, sons are lost. Mm. And so, you know, and, and then also with Minnie and her abusive, and her abusive, um, lover. And how these things are three extremely um, recurring stories in our current day narratives about black women and the men in their lives. <sighs> and with that, <laughs> I think we should conclude part one. Um, yeah, we're that loving- was a heavy ending. It was, it was a very heavy ending. <laughs> I'm huh? hoping you're going to make it lighter nah, or something. Son. Nah, nah, oh, nah. So son. let it soak. Nah. Let, it just... let, it, let it, yeah, live okay. it there. In fact, uh-huh. should we bother to close? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Peace. No, I kid you. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, but this is a really, it's, uh, it's a cool, it's a cool movie. It was really cool to revisit because we both watched it before we started the main session, but it's really nice what we're picking up now that we started the main session. Absolutely. Um, so we're excited about it and we want to, we, there's so much more there. So mm-hmm. we want to, um, we want to make it a two part series. So we'll pick up next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we hope you enjoyed part one. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a movie that certainly d- taught me. Um, some stuff and I guess it's always nice to have something that you can reflect your a- own actions against mm. um, also to sort of understand maybe you know what is what is the bigger picture what what can it become and I mean here in the movie it shows that it became something quite scandalous and and scary as well you know for a lot of people that didn't want these stories to become known so I find it's so interesting in that sense because you know they they would work extremely hard to keep it exactly as is mm. and then the moment there was a threat to other people knowing what was going on all of a sudden there was panic and oh my god what are we doing mm. so um 
and which we've also <laughs> gotten from time to time, you know, just a lot of people telling us that everything in their homes are okay, almost out of a fear that we're going to reveal something that we just shouldn't know. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting to get something to, you know, that's sort of a mirror to what we're doing. And we look really forward to, to discussing the second part of it. Um, but for the moment, again, we'd love to hear your impressions on the movie, your impressions on current day um, domestic worker roles and relationships. Um, and we are always ready to listen and understand your points of view. So please go to our Twitter page, which is at Made Project, M-A-I-D-E Project, as well as our Facebook page, which is The Made Sessions. Looking so forward to hearing from you guys. For now, have a very lovely afternoon. No one had ever asked me what it feel like to be me. Once I told the truth about that, I felt free. And I got to thinking about all the people I know and the things I've seen and done. My boy Trelaw always said we're going to have a writer in the family one day. I guess it's going to be me. Central. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.